some of the hardest words you will ever hear. We need each other. I'm going to tell you even harder still to love your neighbor as yourself. Dr. McMaster um, gave me a little bit of insight on the prayer and the heart for Brazos Christian this year, just unity. Unity in community as we need each other. And I just want to be the first to come forward and say this is one of the hardest truths for me to face. This is one of the hardest things for me to do as a Christian in the church. I want to pare it down a little bit because when I, I've noticed something in the past year, especially as we have had the opportunity to speak into more conversations about the nonprofit, people are really quick to go, oh, you are so awesome. That is so amazing what you do. Thank you for helping people. And I'm going to tell you, it just, I just want to, it makes me break out to go, oh, I'm so not. I'm really so not. It's very, it's actually very easy to love people outside the church. It's really easy to love non-believers. I am not doing anything great or profound that you are not doing every single day. Lost people are the easiest people to believe and hope for and carry weight for. They are very accessible. They, they, they don't have a lot of prejudgments or notions or needs or expectations of you. They're kind of just doing life. And they're always who they are. They're like, this is the most honest version of me. You're, whatever I'm saying is who I am. You're getting it. And so there's suddenly this huge wall that's crumbled between the two of us that's really approachable because they have no pretense. And, and whatever I'm getting is exactly who they are. So I'm going to deconstruct this just a little bit because I want us to understand what God's Word teaches as far as who we are to love, how hard this is, why we need each other, and what is our community, and how specifically should we be existing in this from a Christian worldview. How should this community thing be playing out in our life? We use the word community a lot. It is very much, um, I've seen in Christian language, just a, a really a great uh, word. It's a meaningful word. It, you immediately know what it means. Um, you immediately have certain emotions that are evoked when you hear the word, right? Of how you mostly have failed at it. <laughs> or how you mostly are scared to approach it. Or you're, maybe you're not sure you're approaching it right. Or maybe you're going to say to yourself, the Lord has done something great in me in this area. But uh, biblically, we are a city. As, as Christians and believers, we are a city on a hill. We know that this is not our home. Our citizenship is not planet Earth. We are a citizen of eternity, of heaven. That's where we live. That's where our soul currently abides. It is connected to the divine. Therefore, we have supernatural power that is unexplainable even to ourselves at times. So our citizenship makes us a city within a city. As Christians and believers in the local church, we are this city on a hill of a big city logistically. In that city, we are ambassadors. But I want you to think about what it means to be an ambassador. In order to be an ambassador, you have to know the culture that you live in.
you also have to be able to be attractive to that culture so that they want to start a conversation with you. You have to be very um, approachable. As an ambassador, your job is not to tell them what they need to do. Your job is to bridge a conversation with them, to be in relationship and life with them so closely that they trust you. They trust you. And you and I both know the high demand of trust. So I'm, I want us to really search our heart and say, on the perimeter, not in the church, not in the local group of people who, be, who we think, pretty confident, believe in Jesus, on that perimeter of the city, do we have anyone that we are engaging in those conversations with? Are we truly an ambassador for our city? for our citizenship. I'm not going to spend a lot of time today specifically on how to minister to lost people because what we will find is if we start singularly, internally, personally, the Word of God, uh, when it works itself accurately and truly through our life, He takes care of it. He will do the work for us. He will open the doors for us. But so many times we want to skip a step. So I need this word number one. I, I want us to understand, and I want to understand this so deeply where it is just so engrafted to my being that um, we need each other. Number one, we need each other because God created us to. We need each other because God created us to. Genesis 1, God said, let us make man. In our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. From community to community. The original uh, design of God is a communal design. It means that we're going to need each other. He was pre-existent in eternity before man and woman ever walked the earth. God in himself is triune. God in himself is a community. God, Father, Jesus, Son, Spirit, all acting in three different ways as one to create multiplicity, to breathe out who he is. So by very design, you and I children of God, born and grafted into the image and the likeness of God, which, by the way, is every human being on the planet. This is such a freedom for you. This is such a freedom for us who are believers, is that we do not have to guess if someone we are talking to bears the image of God. Every single man and woman on this planet, I don't care how vile they are, bear the likeness of God. Somewhere in there is a moral compass. Somewhere in there is the difference between right and wrong, and they know that because there is a, a God code, a divine DNA grafted in them. You can trust that when you're talking to people that they are bearers of the image of God. You can test me on this um, communal design by asking yourself, just quietly, privately, what is it that you want? 
more than anything in the world? What is it that we want more than anything? I'm going to tell you, because God's Word tells us to belong. Every single person, every single human, every single child and student in the school, all they want more than anything, more than good grades, more than approval, your approval, their parents' approval, they want to belong. On their very worst day, they need someone to stay. On their very worst day, we need someone to stay. You can test me on that, and I promise you can peel back all of the different desires of the heart, and you, it will always wrap back around to belonging. We are communal because this life is not one-dimensional. We are communal because in order for us to experience the fullness of God, we've got to know other people. In order for us to experience the fullness of God, we've got to know other people. Why? Because we are predominantly, each single one of us in this room, we are predominantly shaped by the first four years of our life. First four years. Hardwired us. And then as we grew up, and as a teenager, all we are asking is, is this core belief that I learned as a child, is it true or false? That's all we're asking. And so as a teenager, we're just saying, is what I saw my parents do, who they told me that I was, as a child, is this true or false? Our brain fully is not even developed into the prefrontal cortex until we're 25 years old. That should take a big weight off of all of us, especially parents of teenagers. You're like, oh my goodness, I am an okay parent. <laughs> Their brain's not even awake yet. Yeah, 25 years old. And so why this is key to the communal design is that uh, you can see how we are really one-dimensional as people. As individual people, we have a very limited story, don't we? We really do. We only really know how to respond or give love. And I'm talking about naturally. I'm not talking in the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us to act supernaturally in the Spirit. But just your natural gut reaction that thing that triggers you when you go to your hometown or when you walk in a certain place or when somebody says a certain thing to you, that is a, a very born-in, hardwired belief in you that makes you a very one-dimensional person. And God is, if anything, not one-dimensional. He is so multifaceted. He, that we will never tap into the fullness of who he is. So he gives us all of these different people from all of these different places and backgrounds and genetic histories and familial histories to interact with who have different gifts. And no one is fully great at one thing and no one is fully bad at one thing. We just all are different. We all are different. And so God gives us a community to understand him through. I'll use myself as an example, just a type A, um, quickly can get into a situation, assess an area and say, all right, we need to do this, 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 for this end result. And so that in itself, you could look at it and go, oh man, that's awesome. I am not that girl at all. Um, but so, so you can learn about God by watching a part of me that is fighting for um, justice, that is fighting for order, that is fighting for clarity and vision. But 
I'm also going to run people over. I'm going to lose so much generosity, so much gratitude, so much of the simple, imperfect blessings of just having a slow-paced, one-on-one conversation at a table with no agenda. And so you are going to teach me to slow down and hear the heart of God, a Father who sits with us, who is patient, who is understanding, who is long-suffering. We're communal because God wants us to know Him. And we are communal because we cannot truly know ourselves without one another. The closer we know God, the more we know ourselves. The more we know God, the deeper we know ourselves. And without one another, we cannot truly know ourselves. And there's a practice to community. It takes practice. It takes work. There is nothing natural about this or easy. The natural thing is to isolate ourselves, to put a guard up based on what we think we know about other people, and to have expectations and qualifications. And most of us learn this from our parents. Most of us learned what this looks like from our parents. Wherever they were guarded, we are most likely guarded. Um, Wherever they were qualifying their love, we are qualifying our love. You have to do X, Y, and Z to get to the full access to me. This is a practice, and it's, it's really interesting to me, and it's actually awe-inspiring. It just um, makes my knees give a little bit to think of the sovereign work of God in us as created beings. He really has woven us together so strategically, so personally, so intentionally. The way that our... I'm, I'm a therapist by trade, and so I get a little geeked out on the brain. Y'all just bear with me, but... The way that our brain moves and the way that it develops, you know, that prefrontal cortex is the last thing to fully develop into our 20s, but that is the empathy center of the brain. That is the place where we receive a message from someone's nonverbal, verbal, whatever, any message we receive, and it's the place in our brain that has the ability to stop, to think, and then to speak, and then respond after we have fully processed what this means to us. It's our ability to take in a message as true or false. When somebody is saying something to us that we are, that you are, that you need to, it's our ability to step back, not lose it on them, not start to fight on our behalf. Well, you don't know me. Get out of my face. It's our ability, our empathy centers, our ability to step back, take it, and go home quietly with the Lord and say, is that true or false of me? Lord, based on your word, is that true of me? And, and, and to move on and to overlook the offense. That's the part of our brain that gives back, that is compassionate, that does sit down and slow down and see people in the Walmart line that just need to talk. It's the part of us that sees someone who may be struggling or just the part of us that's friendly, that doesn't walk around with a scowl on our face, that just smiles. Uh, But so that's just an example of how we can begin um, to really sit in this front part, the most fully hardwired part of our brain, but we have to train it. We have 
networks of neurons that have patterned themselves in our brain over years and years and years of consistency. This is extremely challenging for me as a parent. Teachers, I, I know, oh my goodness, briefly have I been a teacher in music pre-K through six for five years in a private school in Nacogdoches. And um, this was such a challenging word because as I grew up and be, uh, you know, became <laughs> working in my prefrontal cortex for myself, I realized the weight of my life in the life of, of every single one of my students, that literally what I was doing or saying at any given moment, they were bringing in and perceiving as a message that they did not have yet the full capacity to understand. So, and it was either confirming or denying what they already believed that I had no control over. I had no control over their home life or what was going on. I only had control over what I could do in this moment. And so every single morning, Lord, Lord, equip me, strengthen me to tell them the truth. That's all. And sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is hard. Sometimes the truth looks like discipline. But Lord, strengthen me to tell them the truth about who they are. Who they are. Because the truth is, you as teachers are with our children during the year more than we are in a day's time. And so you have, um, as you know, the, 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 the gift and the hardship of bearing the burdens of the students and the families as a whole of all of these different um, people speaking into their lives. And you're getting the overflow. You're getting the reaction. The reactionary state of the student is what you're receiving on a daily. And so I, I, want, I say this hoping to encourage you of the importance of your role. I don't think there is a greater calling in this life than that of a teacher. Number two, we need each other. Number one, we need each other because God created us to. Number two, we need each other as a church. Here's where I'm convicted. If we do not have a heart for those on the inside, we will never have eyes to see those on the outside. If we do not have a heart for those on the inside, we will never have eyes to see those on the outside. The hard work starts at home. The hard work of community and unity and peacemaking, they start at home, literally. At home. I have been so wrecked on my days where I have gone, uh, days, let me say weeks, sometimes months, where I have gone above and beyond in my energy and my affection for a homeless woman and her children. I mean, above and beyond. I've spent hours driving from Social Security office to driver's license to getting in a, a fight with many expletives. Um, I've gone and sat at the prison waiting to talk to one woman for three hours only to have two minutes behind a window. I have gone above and beyond for days and weeks at a time with my affection and my energy toward a lost person, homeless or not, a lost person. Without one single moment 
in that day, spent praying with my children. Spent serving my husband. I can go the extra mile with lost people all day, but it is a sacrifice to go the extra mile at home. Yet this is the word of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the finished work of Jesus. That the hard work starts at home. We, we, um, I want us to be passionate about our community. I want us to look for ways that we can serve and love and give, but not at the deficit of our family. That is not the word of God. Great freedom for us takes a huge weight off of our shoulders. We don't have to do any of these things. I don't have to run a nonprofit. The Lord doesn't need me to write another book. But I've got three other people in my house. Until just a few years ago, one of them was a lost person. Did not believe in Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. I've got a mission field in my home. I've got a marriage that can manifest itself is the covenant that God makes with his church that can manifest itself as the way that Jesus loves us. And I'm not working on that. I mean, Christians, let's be convicted together. Let's be convicted together because God, Jesus has given us a really beautiful framework. I want you to write this down. He's He's really given us a framework for community, and it moves like this. We've got three areas generally here. Core, church, community at large. So you've got three spheres that move out. You've got your core people. You've got your church people that are your like-minded believers that you work with every day, that you go to church with on the weekends, that maybe you're in Bible study with or you serve with. And then on the outskirts, you've got the community at large. Those are people you don't know real. Um, some could be believers also. Some could be um, not. But these are people way on the outskirts just that you live with, you're at Walmart with, you maybe do a, a project work day or volunteer. You're touching these people, but not frequently. And this is the framework of how our energy and affection moves. It starts with the core, it moves to the church, and then it moves out to the community at large. And it always, always moves this way biblically. It is the design that you see over and over. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it is very intimate, it is very personal, and then it moves out. Now, here's what happens. I want you to see what happens if we get it mixed up. Because as we develop and grow and mature as believers, God will give us a balance here. Uh, the key for us, what we are looking for and what we want to strive for, is to find balance in these three areas. Balance. A rhythm. And, and the, the Lord really has to give us that because we're all at different places, right? So my capacity as a mother of a uh, 10-year-old and a 13-year-old is very different than that of a mother with four children under five. My capacity to serve the community at large is much greater than hers. And so my job is not to push her to get out there. My job is to encourage her in the core, right? So we're all in different places at different 
seasons of life in different capacities, and the Lord is the only one who can give us the balance there, but all of these three things must be in play for us to live an abundant, full life. The core is, is obviously your family, right? Your core people are your family who lives in your house, but these are also your close-up friends. These are your close-up people. I would say, and, and I could be totally wrong about this, I'm only looking at the framework of Jesus with his 12 disciples. I don't think that those were his close-up friends. I think that was more like his church. He obviously had men that he specifically carried closer to him in more intimate and vulnerable times when his guard was really down, when he was really struggling. There were two or three. Now, I'm not saying that you only need to have two or three. I'm just saying you better have two or three. I mean, I'm talking like in the meat thick of it. And men, you need to have men. And women, you need to have women. These are not cross-gender friendships. Women, you need to have two or three women that say the truth to you. And, and, it's okay, and you can get offended and you can be all up in your emotions and you can lose it for a minute and they stay right there the whole time you're losing it. Because they know you. They know you've got to feel it and be mad about it, but you're going to come back and start crying and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And so we've got to have people in our life that just catch us being us. The people um, that, that show up to your house when your house is a tornado and you have not washed your hair in eight days and they show up on your doorstep with Starbucks or just say, hey, I'm here. I mean, you're talking about a wet, you want to talk about how a wave of fear rushes over me. Like, no, 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 no. You are not my friend right now if you show up unannounced on my doorstep. But I've got two girls that do that to me. And y'all, it has been the sweetest marks of our friendship. It has been the sweetest, sweetest places because I am so vulnerable. I'm not put together. Everything's chaotic. And the greatest news is that that's what they love. No, let us catch you being you, Casey. We, wanna, we love this part of you. We want to see this part of you. So we've got to have um, these friends close up in our life. Secondly, our, our church, most all of you in here, I'm sure, are a part, maybe attend if you're not a member or you're a member or longstanding in the local church here in Bryan College Station or wherever uh, in the area. If you're not, you need to be. And the, and the best news I've got for you and the most encouragement I've got from the uh, person who's made a ton of mistakes in the church is just go. Just go. And not like, I'm going to go for three Sundays and check it out. Nah, nobody can learn anything in three Sundays. Are you kidding me? No, go three months, six months. Stay. Be a part of people who believe like you believe. You don't have to agree with everything that they're doing. It's not about agreeing. And I'm about to show you how God says this is not about agree or disagree. This is about unity that goes way beyond that. So you've got the church. These are people in, in here too you work with. I mean, as a collective staff, you're not going to be able to really have deep friendships with everybody in this room. We do not have the capacity for that. Your close-up friends, you know their kids' birthdays. You know what every child in their family is struggling with. You know their, mar their problems in their marriage. You know exactly how to pray. You are on your face for them every day. You are claiming scripture for them every day. You are calling them at least every other day, if not once a week. You are, you are making contact. 
You have these people in your home. They have dinner with you. They go through life with you. You grab on and you never let go. And you can't do that with everybody. You just can't. We do not have the ability as mortal people to have that capacity. So uh, this would be the next sphere. Most of the time, the people you're working with, that's that next level out, which is your church people. The great, beautiful uh, collective peace and unity here is that we believe the same thing. At the end of the day, we may have a lot of different ways of going about it. We may have preferences, personality traits. Remember, we're one-dimensional people. It takes a lot to stretch us and to think differently. But at the end of the day, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We believe he's finished the work. And we may struggle to try to still work. But ultimately in our heart, we, we, we want to know him more as our Savior. And so we're, we're going to spend a lot of time together, folks. It's okay if we don't have everybody's birthday down because we're going to spend an eternity together. We're going to spend eternity together. If you stop, here's the problem. Some people want to stop at the core and just identify with your core all the time. And here's the type of person this develops. If you never develop your church or your community and you stay stuck with just your close-up people all the time and that's all you ever do life with, you will be shallow, arrogant, and unfulfilled. You will not have a deep understanding of life because there are a lot of different colors of skin. There are a lot of different um, hardships and struggles that go on in this world. And if you are only with the people that look just like you, you'll be a very shallow person that is never attached to anything meaningful. You'll be very arrogant because and prideful because you'll think it's just all about right here. And it'll be challenged in your beliefs. If you only stay identified in the church... If you just stay in church and there's never a time in your life where you're going outside of the church, where you're serving with the church, where you're talking to people who are different than you, where you're getting in a conversation with an agnostic or an atheist, you will be this type of person, a hypocrite, unrelatable, and again, unfulfilled. We will be a hypocrite, unrelatable, and unfulfilled. And then if we are only only a part of the greater community, if we have no core, if we have no close-up friends, we will be this type of person, depressed, in debt, isolated, and unfulfilled. Notice that every single one is unfulfilled. And there'll be um, groups of people, I've done this in my life, where we try to skip one, right? Where we try to have a core and then skip the church part and just be in the community at large, or where we have a core and we have a church, but we don't have any community at large, um, that's not the answer either. All three things need to be firing at one time, and the Bible tells us in order for us to thrive and live in fullness, that we need to have a good grasp of all three areas of community. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law, will you write this down? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Watch this. The hardest thing you'll ever hear. To love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is writing this to the church, to Christian people like us. He is getting this from the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says... 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what I mean. The law, all of it, the 613 Jewish laws in the Old Testament, all of the history, all of the prophets, all of the poetry, all of the epistles, the entire Old Testament and New Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus without one eye dropping. All of them are still required in him. And the point for me and you as mortal people is that we could never do it. We need a Savior. We need a Savior every day because none of them have been relaxed. God's character has not changed. None have been nullified. They are still the driving force of obedience in the Christian's life today in this generation because our Savior has fulfilled the whole of Scripture. And when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we fulfill the whole of Scripture. Do you hear this? You better be trembling. Trembling on the inside that your ability to love your neighbor as yourself is as though you are the living Christ in someone's life. It is as though you are fulfilling the word of God in total. I'm telling you, there is nothing more weighty in this life and there is nothing more liberating at the same time. I think it's interesting, I've heard many people say, I've said it myself, we're to love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. That's actually not true. <laughs> um, Philippians 2.3 does give us a call to esteem or count others more significant than ourselves, but I want you to understand the contextual difference of language here. In Philippians, this is more of an action or an attitude. The actual command from Jesus that fulfills his word to love your neighbor as yourself, not more than yourself, as yourself, is a motivation of the heart. It's different than an attitude we have or a way of being or existing in a behavior. It's an actual longing and desire in our heart that motivates our attitude and behavior. Does that make sense? We cannot love people more than ourselves because there's nothing we love more than ourselves. The hard part of this, this is why community is so hard, because this command, this wholeness, this totality, it is the most life-giving way of living. It is the most abundant and full way of existing as a Christian, and it is so hard because this command, it cuts to the root of our own sinfulness. It exposes us. It makes us vulnerable. It shows everybody our battle scars. This is why you will not catch me being much of a teacher on self-care or self-forgiveness. Because I think of myself enough as is. 
and you will be hard-pressed to find self-forgiveness in the Word of God. It's not there. We are not worthy to tie the shoes of another person. We're not worthy. There's not much we deserve in this life, and there are very few times we are not thinking of ourselves and what we need. It's so natural to us, we don't even know we're doing it. If we're hungry, we eat. If we want a new shirt, we go buy it. If we, oh, here's one that gets me, not what I do, but what I don't do. If I don't want to talk to someone, I avoid them. If someone texts me and I don't want to engage, I don't text back. There is no one I love more than myself. So for me to love someone like that is extremely sacrificial. But this is what it looks like. And I'll start to close here. As you long for food when you are hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, desire a comfortable place for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek that same comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, seek friends for your neighbor. As you want your life to count and be significant and be accepted, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. This love in total and and, and of itself is a love. And and I want to be cautious here because this, what this is not teaching us is to love someone the way that we think they need to be loved. We have to learn to discern. Now, that is a a lifetime of, of trusting the Lord and growing there. Have you ever been loved the way that someone thinks you need to be loved? Never works. I mean, I've got people that, you know, maybe they're giving me a gift and I just want to talk to you. Like maybe I'm filling the space with words, but that person just wants to cry and be sad for a minute and me not say anything, but just sit there. You see, so if I come into a friendship or a relationship, no matter what sphere I'm working in, if I'm in community at large, church or core, and I am assuming what you need, then all I am doing is controlling and manipulating that. That's all I'm doing. That is not loving someone as I love myself. I want to be loved. This is how I want to be loved. This is how every human being wants to be loved. We want to be loved without any qualifications. And so when God is speaking this, when Jesus is speaking this, when Paul is writing this, it is just saying simply to love someone without needing anything in return is enough. You don't have to categorize. You don't have to think through how they, what they really need or what you really need. All you need to do is love in the pure way that I love you. <laughs> it's that simple. It strips back all of the things we think we need to know. It will bypass all of our prejudices. It will bypass all of our beliefs that, that are faulty. It will bypass all the places that we just don't know yet. Just to sit in a space with someone at a table and let them talk and love and engage in a conversation without needing anything in return. To bring them a gift without needing an acknowledgement. 
um, oh man, it is so powerful, and it does the work. It, it is the way to community. It's the way to peace. If you want some more uh, biblical context, I encourage you to read Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. It's going to tell you specifically how this love looks when it is played out like this in community. I, I, I really quickly, I do want to bring this into light. In Galatians 5, Paul is such a great writer because he tells us the way to something by telling us what it's not. So when you read the apostle, he, he will always first tell you what it's not because really as humans, we need to hear that first. If we hear what it is, we get conceited and we think we're doing it. And then you say what it's not and you realize that's probably what you're doing. So he tells us what love is not and what community is not. In Galatians 5, you can look at that. I won't go into it for time's sake, 16 through 21. And then the beautiful passage that we know, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is. Um, and, and this is where there is no law. This is the fulfillment of, it is the fruit in our life that says, okay, you want a mark of me doing this, getting it right. A mark of me where I'm trusting the Lord with this relationship, with this friendship, with this marriage, with these people. This will be present in my life. But Paul still goes further because he bookends the, the truth of community, what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit, what it looks like to love the way that God loves with the two things that it's not. So he tells you on the front end and then he tells you on the back end, and I, I want to read that in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is how we keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, so three things specifically he calls out, but they really just say one thing, and this is what it is. We want to get community. If we want to do it right, then we have got to stop placing people in categories. That's what all three of these things do. If you're conceited, you're looking at another person saying, I would never do that. If you are provoking someone, you've got this bit of information that puts you in the control. It's where gossip and slander comes in because we're holding this little bit of information that may or may not be true, but we've got it and we so, our, our, our tongue just wants, it's like fire, it just wants to share it so bad because for just a minute we're, we're, we're the authority. We're in control. We've got something good. Um, or it's just that thing that you know that bothers someone and you just keep doing it. <laughs> you don't change your life and ask the Lord to reveal it to you. You just keep doing it because you know it bothers them and you know it's going to turn them away. And you really don't want to engage in a friendship with them. That's provoking one another. And envying one another is anytime we're comparing and we're saying, I'll never look like that. I'll never be like that. I wish I was that. And you see how in all scenarios where we would not be walking in the Spirit, we are placing people into categories. We have got to stop it. We have got to stop. Especially in the church, we are just biting one another and devouring one another. We're cratering people. There are a lot of lost people in your church. So start there. There's lost people in your house. Let's start there and let's practice this. We're not over here. It's not us and them, you guys. It's not us and them. We don't need to fix people. We just need to have faith.
just need to have faith, start in our home, love the people in the church, ask God for eyes and a heart to see those who are hurting and those who are broken and those who do feel weak in the faith. We want to empower them. We want to make room for them. And listen, this is the hardest thing. We want to change our life so that they can be in it. We want to change our life so that they can be in it. I think it's, it's just so easy for me to be a bubbly personality and to acknowledge people and have a conversation with them, but then I just keep going about my day. There's nothing significant changing in my mind or my heart or my actions that would become a person who would actually bear a burden. That's also in Romans. How do we love our neighbor as ourself? We bear their burdens. I want you to know that word bear, that holding up, it means to take ownership of. It's that picture of that weight where your muscles are just about to drop. But this is the type of love. If it is not hurting you to love someone, you are not loving them. It should hurt. It should be sacrifice. There should be something in your life that is changing to fit around them. Is anything in your life changing for them? Because you are coming into their world. And not just the stuff that's seemingly easy. As a cancer survivor, I can say that people came into my life and they literally took ownership of my disease with me. Um, for anything from cleaning my house... They were, see, and how, what that looked like in that situation, they were doing the things that I could not do in that time. But now when someone is sick like that, when it's, when it's, doesn't, it's not really a sinful, you're not looking at something like a sinful thing, like a transgression or somewhere where they're not trusting the Lord, that's easier to approach. It's when there is serious sin on the table when there is a, a demeanor that is not trusting God, and because they are not trusting God, they are hurting other people. It is someone who is struggling deeply with criticism and negativity, and the Lord is asking you to come next to that person and carry this with them, whatever is evoking this emotion in them. And it is going to be so rough because they're not going to be people you want to spend time with. And the Lord is asking you to stay in it with them until they change. That could be two weeks. That could be two years. And that is what it looks like to bear someone's burden. Take ownership of it with them. Adapt your life. Um, you're going to change your life because when we love others as Christ, when we love others as Christ loves us and love our neighbor as ourselves, let me tell you something, someone's mind is going to change here. And we just pray it's ours. That's what we pray. Loving our neighbors ourselves changes somebody's mind, and we pray that it's ours.